Glory to God. Good to see you here this morning. If you missed the sunrise service this morning, uh, catch it. It was it was good. Brother Jolly was teaching us some things about getting unstuck. Thank you, Brother Victor. And uh, I surely enjoyed them. That's some good stories to tie in with that as well. So right now you can go up on Facebook and listen to it that way. We'll eventually have it on the podcast. And we'll put everything Friday, Sunday morning, everything on the Sunday morning side. So if you go look for it, that's where it's going to that's where it's going to be at. We're going to be over in the book of Ruth, chapter 3. We started on it last week, and we may be the only church in America right now that on Easter Sunday morning, or Resurrection Sunday morning as we like to call it, is in the book of Ruth. But after we get done with this today, I surely hope that you think of the book of Ruth every Resurrection Sunday morning. Last week we looked at the life of Naomi and Ruth, and we saw that it looked pretty bleak. It did not look good. Naomi's husband died. Sometime after that, her two sons died. Of course, they had left the land of Israel to go over to Moab because there was no food. There was famine. We looked at some of the reasons why that came about. And so after they died, Naomi decides, I'm going back to Israel. And so she packs up and we saw it was a very peculiar thing that she she packed up to go and the girls helped her. And as they're going on their way out of the town, heading out of the border, just before they cross over in Israel, she says, look, you all don't have to go with me. We figure that she's probably getting some kind of a look from, from one of them. They didn't really want to go. But that was not the look that was on Ruth's face. And remember the words of Ruth, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And of course, we know that they had gone on into the land of Israel. That something happened with Ruth. She was a worshiper of idols. She was among heathen. But when she married into this family, she took on their gods. Of course, their one god. She's used to multiple gods. And after a while, she forsook worshiping her own gods and just worshiped Jehovah. And she saw her life change. And her life was better than it was before. And even though death had come, and brought sorrow. The prospect of going back home to where she had a more secure future, where she had someone who would take care of her, where there was some money. The prospect of going back to the other gods and leaving the one person who was left to influence her to worship Jehovah was too daunting for her. And she said, no, I won't go back because wherever you go, I will go. Basically, you have been the one who changed my life. You were all that is left. And you are the one who showed me the way of God. So your God will be my God. Where you die, that's where I'm going to die. Your people will be my people. And she saw she was determined. And we saw that when they came to a new place, and she went and she began to glean. She took on one of the most humble occupations you could do. 
but there wasn't much available to her. And you try and get as much food as you can, and hopefully you get enough food for the day, which means tomorrow you have to go out and you have to do it again. And the next day you have to go out and do it again. If ever you don't come up with enough food for the day, you'll go hungry. But something happened. And Boaz looked on her. She had favor in his eyes. And so she, he not only made sure that she got enough stuff, he made sure that she had enough stuff taken care of her for a while. He said, you can go over here. Go over here where no one else is supposed to glean. You glean from there. You guys make sure you drop some stuff. I want her taking plenty home. Come on over here and have lunch with us. And she did. And we picked it up here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, we've gone through the entire harvest season of the barley. And she's been gleaning all these days in the field of Boaz. Because Boaz said, look, don't, don't go anywhere else. Just stay right here. We'll make sure you're taken care of. Now, Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Now, isn't that not the epitome, the pinnacle, the very best of faithfulness that you can do? Whatever you say, I will do. Now, Naomi, she had this planned. It didn't just happen because she knows where Boaz is going to be on that night. How does she know that? They may be related, but they don't seem to have a whole lot of contact. How does she know? And she tells her to do some things. He says, this is what I'm telling you to do. I want you to go wash yourself, take a bath, anoint yourself. In other words, put on some nice smelly stuff. I want you smelling good. And put on your best garment. All right, now I want you to think about this. If you are a young lady and you have just taken a bath, a shower, and you have put on your best smelling stuff that you got, and you put on your best dress that you have, where are you going? Remember, you're single. Come on, where are you going? We're on a date. We are going on a date. You do not put on your best smelly stuff and your nicest garment to go sleep on the floor somewhere. Do you? What's Naomi telling her to do? Girl, I want you to get all dot up. I want you to look your best. And I'm going to send you over here. He's our, he's our kinsman. He's a close relative. And Ruth has been around here long enough. She knows exactly what she is sending her to do. Now, we do not have this custom in this country. But they did in this country. And if you think that God did not like this custom, please cut out from your Bible. Just rip it right out of there because you're not going to want to read this. 
But in Genesis chapter 38, God saw to it that a man died who did not fulfill this. We're not going to chapter 38 and reading it. There are a few chapters in the Bible that I consider to be not Sunday morning compatible. <laughs> chapter 38 of Genesis is one of those chapters I do not consider to be Sunday morning compatible. Wednesday night, maybe. <laughs> but it's not Sunday morning compatible. If you want to read chapter 38, you can go and read it yourself. I've warned you about it. i told you about it. You're on your own from there. Some people have difficulty with the chapter. I don't. But I'm still not reading it. But let's take a look at this. He says, uh, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get all dot up, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. Don't let the man know you're there. I want you to be in secret. Make sure he's finished eating and drinking. It doesn't mean he was drunk. How many of you have something to drink when you uh, had breakfast this morning? Some of y'all had coffee. That's a drink. You have to drink the coffee. I don't know. He may have been drinking some wine. He may have. I don't know. It doesn't specify. But just because you see eating and drinking doesn't mean that there there was uh, not, not such good things going on. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. Now, can you see a little bit of ceremony going on here? Now, if you put on your best dress, now understand, we're, we're people, they, they don't have a whole lot. They're gleaning. They don't have a whole lot of things. But he said, get your best one. Yeah, well, I, I love uh, listening to Pastor Keith when he talks about people getting dressed up for church. You know, I still get dressed up for church. Brother Hagen, he taught us to get dressed up for church. So I get dressed up for church. Because, I, you see, I have a suit and tie, so I'm going to wear a suit and tie. If a suit and tie offends you, man, I'll tell you what, guys, don't be watching football. Because all them announcers are wearing suit and ties. Every single one of them. In fact, you've watched the pregame show, they're wearing vests, suit and ties. They got the kerchiefs going on. I mean, they are all all decked out. No one seems to be bothered by that. But uh, Brother Keith, he used to always always uh, say this to, to people. He says, you don't have a suit and tie, don't mean you have to wear a suit and tie. Be dressed up for church doesn't mean you have to wear a real fine dress. He says all you have is a t-shirt and jeans and wear your best t-shirt and jeans. And, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't hurt you to, to uh, iron that t-shirt and jeans. I mean, make it look good. See, your, your best isn't measured by how good it is compared to someone else's. Your best is the best that you've got. And whenever you're bringing something to God, make it be the best that you've got. Don't ever look down on someone else and say, well, how come you only wore that? No. Never look down on what someone did as their best. You remember Jesus when he was in the temple? I always loved this story. Because uh, Jesus was in the back. He parked himself in the back because this is where they did offering. He parked himself in the back and he watches everybody what they gave. He watched them, what they put in. You remember the little the widow came? She put in two, two mites. And he said, you see that one right there? She gave more than all of them. Why? Because they gave out of their abundance. 
she gave out of her poverty. She gave the best that she could do. And Jesus says, that was outstanding. You bring God the best, he never looks down on it. If God does not look down on the best that someone can do, dear Lord, we should never. Never look down on someone. Because you don't know they may have done their best. So anyway, that's just a little side note. So she knows what she has to do. She's going to be going to sleep on the ground here. How many of you ladies would get your best dress to go out on the threshing floor? I've never been on a threshing floor. But I don't think it's all that clean. And you're going to lay down on the threshing floor, uncover his feet. And when he wakes up, he'll tell you what you should do. And she says, all that you say to me, I will do. So she has careful instructions. And she follows them. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful. That doesn't mean he's bad. Doesn't mean he's drunk. How many of y'all, after you had a good meal, had yourself a nice Diet Coke with your food? <laughs> can uh, can get up from there and just, man, that was good. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed that. All right, you can be cheerful. It's a whole lot better than being grumpy. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. She came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. How many have ever heard you should never eat late at night and go to bed? You ever heard that? It's supposed to be bad for your body? Yeah. Apparently he didn't read that. Now why is he eating so late at night and then going to bed? Tells you a little bit about it. This is the threshing season. And he doesn't just hire people out to thresh it. He's out there threshing it with them. And he worked all day long until there was no more in him to work. And then he goes and he gets something to eat. And exhausted, he goes to bed. Boaz is a working man. We saw that before in some of the earlier verses. But let's just keep on going on here with this. So his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Have you ever been to sleep at night? And maybe the blankets, you know, got loose and your feet got uncovered. How many would be able to test? That's not comfortable. And that by itself can wake you up. Your feet got cold. Well, this is part of the ceremony of what they're supposed to be doing. So she uncovers the feet. She lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. Now, there's a whole lot of things that come into play here and we'll probably have to wait to get to heaven to find out all the stuff that happened. But here's, he's on the threshing floor. I'm sure that's not where his bed is. I'm sure he's got a nice house and a bedroom and um, maybe a bed in there and that's usually where he sleeps. But right now he's on the threshing floor. Naomi finds out about this and said, here's an opportunity. He's going to be in a spot that you can get to. Because I don't think it'd be all that easy for her to break into the house. Sneak into the bedroom. But he's on the threshing floor. Wait, this will work here. So she sends her on the, on the way. 
So he wakes up. There's a woman lying at his feet. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> if you're a woman, maybe a man lying there at your feet. I mean, if that happened, <laughs> there might be a little bit more of a reaction than, who are you? <laughs> might be something more that, that, that comes out of that. I don't know. I saw this, uh, this one video that came up. It was, and I knew it was coming, but I watched it anyway. You ever done that? Yeah. You, you, you watch the video. I know it's coming, yeah. but for some reason you watch it. Yeah. And so they announced what this video is about. And so, um, you see, there's this, there's this woman sprawled out on the, on the bed sleeping at nighttime. And for some reason there's a camera in the room. And, uh, taking the, the image, her sleeping. And in through the door comes a very large snake. And her foot is just dangling off of the bed. And the snake gets closer and closer and she starts moving around. Well, the snake gets startled because there's this thing hovering over its head, moving. So guess what happened? Snake bit the woman. Now, this woman does not react like most people would think that the woman would react. I think this, this woman was a relative of Sharon's. I am almost positive that it is because this woman got up, saw that the snake was in the room and chased the snake out of the room. I think most of us would have beat the snake out of the room. We're out of here. I don't know what kind of snake it was. I don't know if it was a snake that imposed any danger to her. But that's what she did. Now that'll startle you. You wake up and there's a snake there at the by the by your feet. But this wasn't a snake. This is a woman. And he looks over and he sees her. Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Hmm. Now, if you have a margin like I have in my Bible, if you look at that word take, you will see over in the margin something much longer. It says, spread the corner of your garment over your maidservant. You see that in your margin? <laughs> Not just mine then, right. Not just take your maidservant under your wing, but spread the corner of your garment over your maidservant. Now that's interesting. Why would she, um, why would she be asking to do this? Now the tense of this is in question. Some people look at this and say that she is asking him and others look at this that she has already done it and is attesting it to him. In other words, it'd be like this. You have already spread your garment over your maidservant. I didn't know such thing. I was asleep. <laughs> so if it's done, guess who did it? <laughs> she did. Now, how many would think that this is just a little bit presumptuous on the part of Ruth and Naomi? To sneak on in after he's gone to sleep, uncover his feet, and to make this, this, um, this speculation here. Take your garment. Cover your maidservant. Well, see, well, this is the, this is one of the things that they did in the, in the Oriental world. Not just the Jewish, but the Oriental world. 
is if a um, husband and wife were married and there were no children, then the uh, and the wife survived the husband. It didn't work if it was the other way around. But if the wife survived the husband and there were no children to carry on the husband's name, that a close relative of that husband would take her as wife and the first child that they would have would be his and carry on that lineage and be the heir of that person's house. That's how they did it. You may say, ew, I don't like whatever it is. Don't matter. We don't do it here in this country. They did it in that country. And if you go to the 38th chapter of Genesis, you will find out that a particular man by the name of Judah, how many remember Judah in the, in the Old Testament? A particular man by the name of Judah had three sons. The name of the first one, I believe, was Ur, E-R. And he uh, married him to this woman by the name of Tamar. But it says in the Word of God that he was an evil man. And the Lord killed him. That's what it says. Now, we can get into the doctrine of that some other time. We're not going to do that today. <laughs> but God doesn't just walk around killing people. But that's what it says in your Bible when you go back there, because I know some of you are going to go back there and you're going to read the 38th chapter, because I got you completely curious as to what in the world went on there. So, um, by this right, and of course it's, it's cited in the chapter, his secondborn was given to her as a husband to raise up a child. He didn't want to do it. And he died. There's a whole lot of speculation as to why he died when you read what they count in the Word of God. It's really simple, but we're not going to get into it because we're not covering the 38th chapter of Genesis. It's Sunday morning. But don't take the standard interpretation of it because it's not true. But anyway, we're just going on here. So, anyway, so he dies. So now Judah has lost his firstborn and his secondborn. He has one more son left. Number three. And he says to Tamar, Tamar, he's too young. When he grows up a little bit, I will give him to you as your husband. But not right now. If you'll just wait a little while. So she returned home. But it says in, in the verses that Judah was afraid that he would lose his third son. Because he didn't understand what happened with the first two. doesn't say that in the Bible, but that's, that's really what it came down to. So um, after a while, after some, some time had gone on, uh, Tamar had heard that Judah was coming out her way. And so she met up with him and threw a little bit of deceit she, because um, she knew that the third son had grown up and he wasn't given to her as a husband. So because of some uh, deceit on her part, she had a son with Judah. And the name of that son, we will tell you in just a little while. Because the name of that son is somewhat significant. But I just read all that part of it to you just to let you know God was not against this uh, practice that they did. I don't know that he was forward enough that he told in the Word of God this is what you should do, but apparently he wasn't against it. Can you understand that? And he, the, he let it go on. But they didn't have any, they didn't have any other children up until, up until then. But anyway, Ruth had no child, so she goes over to this uh, close kinsman 
and says basically, by the customs of our people, you need to take me as your wife so that you can, so I can continue to have an heir for my dead husband. That's what she is saying to him. He knows all of that the moment he wakes up. And so this is what he says. This is important. I'm not just going over these details for you just because uh, it's intriguing information. There's a reason for this and we'll, we'll see it. Again, let's read this verse again. Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Now, if you don't mind writing your Bible, Brother Hagin used to always tell us this. If you do, if you write this in the margin of your Bible, he would say, he said, if you can't write in your Bible, throw it out and get one you can write in. I just always loved that, that far. So I have a Bible uh, that I've written in quite a bit. But now I, I do most of this, you know, without an actual physical Bible. But if you have a Bible here and you want to write this in, I would, I would strongly suggest you doing this. It might even be in your, in your margin. I want you to take a look at that word there. It says close relative. That is not the translation. The translation of this, if you will look this up, and you can look it up in any number of... Uh, uh, things that are out there, books, apps, all sorts of stuff. Kinsman, or close relative, is actually the word for redeemer. So what she says here, I am Ruth, your maidservant. You are my redeemer. Hmm. How does Naomi get so bold to give Ruth the plan to have her, a poor widow, sneak into the house of, if not rich, a well-off single man and tell him, you are to be my husband? Think about this, ladies. How many of you would like to walk into somebody's house and say, you are my husband? I've told you the story not too often. I don't tell a whole lot. It's one of those memories I kind of like to black out and not have. <laughs> it's one of those things you kind of wish never happened, but it did. And I remember one time I was sitting in my office and uh, there was this one particular uh, girl and when I was assistant pastor, one particular girl who um, was determined to be Ruth in my life. <laughs> she was determined to, to, to be that. And uh, one time... And she would let me know all the time that she was available and ready to be my uh, be my wife and and so forth. Um, I tried to let her know this was not happening, and her sister worked at the church, and I tried to also communicate. The sister would actually come up and apologize. I'm sorry for my sister. <laughs> she knew some of the things were going on. Well, one time, I was in my office. I was studying, getting ready for whatever service was coming up, and uh, the door opens, and this girl pops her head in. She says, hello. I shockingly said, hello. <laughs> and uh, uh, She says, so when are we getting married? <laughs> yes, she did. Popped right in there. So when we get married? I says, uh, we're not. <laughs> just very calmly, not meanly. It's just very, we're not. And, uh, and then she left. That was it. There was other things that happened along the lines there too. <laughs> but... <laughs> But 
but I understand that going on and it, it, it's not always all that, all that welcome. Maybe sometimes you, you ladies have had somebody come up to you and, and do the same kind of thing and it's not someone that you had any attraction to. <laughs> and if that was the case, you probably wouldn't be all that impressed with such a, such a thing. So I was pondering this. This is how does Naomi come up with this plan and feel pretty confident that she can send the, basically the breadwinner of the home into the house of the guy who is enabling her to be the breadwinner of the home and that we're not going to sever this relationship in which is our very survival. How is she confident that she can do this without getting the guy upset? Now understand that Boaz is of the age of Naomi's husband, which would make her of the age of a father for Ruth. It's a big age difference between the two. Don't know exactly what the age is, but there's a big age difference there. So we, we saw from the other chapters here that, uh, that Naomi would send Ruth off and she was only working in Boaz's field and that that happened for the entire harvest time. Now, it's a small town. Bethlehem is not a big town. What do you think the odds are that Naomi, walking through town with Ruth, runs into Boaz? When I show you some things, you're going to find out it's a really good probability. Now, we've told you before that Boaz, Ruth caught his eye. Right off the bat. He liked Ruth. And made sure that he did stuff for her that no one else had going on. I'm sure that the workers said, man, what is up with this girl? And so I just, this is what I picture. One of these times, Ruth says, I have to leave early today. I'm taking my mom. We're going into the, into the city to, uh, go to the market. And Boaz hears about this. Huh. Now, if you are a man and you like a particular girl and you get wind that that girl is going to be in a certain location, what does the typical man do? We find a reason to be where you are going to be. Isn't that right? How many of you know it? We find a reason. Oh, are you here? You did say that. I forgot that you said you were going to be. And we just happened to run into them there, right? Exactly. So... One of these times, they're in town, and Naomi is with Ruth, and she sees Boaz, and Boaz makes his way on over. Hi, Ruth, how you doing? Uh, they have a conversation, and Naomi is watching. Now, have you ever been in a room where two people like each other, but they don't admit it? And can you tell that they like each other? Can you tell by the looks they give? The smiles. And then you come away from there and you say, hmm, she likes him. <laughs> right? Have you ever done that? And then you go up to him and say, you know, she likes you. She does not. Didn't even know I'm around. <laughs> have you, have you been through that before? This is exactly what's going on here in the, in the book of Ruth. <laughs> that from the day that Boaz saw Naomi or saw Ruth, he liked her. But you see, he's thinking to himself, I'm an old geezer. What would she want to do with me? And so he stays away. He just, I'm going to do everything I can to help her out. Because I really like her. I mean, she's just such a, a neat lady. And mm, 
I'm just, uh, I, I, I can't ask her out. I can't do anything. No, that's just not right. I'm just too old for her. And, and Ruth is probably thinking, man, I like this guy. I don't know why he's old enough to be my dad. Why in the world am I liking this guy? And so she says, no, I can't be, be doing anything to act on this. And so, uh, they stay apart. Naomi sees this. And she says, we gotta do something to get these two over this problem here. And so she comes up with a scheme of a way to help them. And so she says, Ruth, I need to look out for you. I need to make sure that you're uh, taken care of. So this is what we're going to do. And she lays out the plan and Ruth is faithful to her mother-in-law. And so she goes along with the plan and, and Boaz, when he wakes up and he sees what it is and sees what she did, uncovered his feet, and it began to invoke the the uh, Redeemer. She says, or he says, are you kidding me? He's probably just so excited that this girl that he has looked at from as far away as he can might actually like him. Oh, this... This is beyond his. This is beyond anything he could think of. Now, if you think I'm snowing you on this, I'm not. I am going to show you. Let's go on in, in here. Verse 12. Now, he just woke up from a hard day of work after a nice meal. Right? He was sound asleep and woke up. How many of you, after you have fallen asleep, sound asleep after a long, hard day and wake up, your mind is working completely? How many can do math equations? Some of you can't do math equations when you're awake. But let alone this time in the night. He says, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Can you imagine doing this at nighttime? Someone startles you in the middle of the night awake and says, You are my close relative. You are my redeemer. Marry me. Have kids with me. And you put in your mind, well, let me see. Uh, No, you know what? There's uh, Uncle Fred. (laughs) There is Uncle Fred and he is closer in relationship to you. Folks, I couldn't even figure it out. How does he know at midnight being woken from a dream or woken from sleep that she has a closer relative than him. Come on. He thought about this before. He hasn't considered, you know, I could be her redeemer. I could be, and I would have kids and they would be, uh, you know, the first one would be his. That's fine. But I would get Ruth. She'd be my wife. Oh, but that wouldn't work because uh, Uncle Fred, you know, he's over there and He's a, he's closer. He's closer and, well, that's, that's not gonna work. Oh well. See, he's already got all this figured out. You don't figure out stuff like this for just, for just fun. We don't do that. He says, stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you. Good, let him do it. In other words, he's saying, and I hope not. Can you hear it? Oh, I hope he won't. 
we got to make sure we do this legally. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. All right, you know, if I have to, I guess I can. Uh-huh, right. So she lay down at his feet. I'm going to show you something else here. This is another clue that what I'm telling you, I'm not snowing you. She lay down at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. There's even debate about who he said this to. But we're not going to get into that because, again, I'm trying to stay out of teacher mode on this thing and just, you know, get in here looking at the faithfulness of the whole thing. So, we know that he has given this some thought. And he's uh, contemplated some certain things about this. Knows who the closer relative is. Verse 15, he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her and then she went to, into the city. Now, I just couldn't help myself on this. I just had to look up how much is six ephahs of barley. How many of you know how much is six ephahs of barley? Anybody know how much six ephahs? All right, we got one person who knows. I looked it up. You make sure that I'm, I'm right on this thing. I looked it up. One ephah is equivalent to five gallons dry. Six times five Come on, when it's not middle of the night, y'all can do math. 30. We're looking at 30 gallons of barley. So I, I think everything in fish tanks. You know, it's, it's kind of an, a, a hobby habit. I, whenever I think it's on how, how big is a 30 gallon tank? That's what I think about. A 30 gallon tank is two feet by two feet by one foot. Two feet high, two feet long, and one foot wide. Two feet, two feet, one foot. That big, you could put it into. He gives her, in a little shawl that she's got, he says, hold it out there. He gives her 30 gallons of barley to take home to Naomi. How many of you had struggled carrying a bag of groceries home? (laughs) Two bags of groceries out to the car. 30 gallons of bar, loose barley in a shawl and you're going to carry it from the field to wherever the house is. <laughs> if she's trying to get home in a stealth manner, this is not how to do it. That's a lot. So when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, the, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Remember the first day that she was gleaning, how many, how many ephahs did she get? She got one. And she was pretty happy. She got six now. Sit still, my daughter. And then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. You may lose this in the translation. Let me go tell you what it is. Honey, the man's in love. <laughs> he will not let this rest until he finishes this out today. It won't get postponed until tomorrow. You can just sit down right here and you just wait. You don't go out to the fields. You don't glean anymore. You sit right down here because before this day is over, this man will have this thing solved. Why? Because he is a man in love. And he's going to take care of this thing. 
Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. Again, you, you got to get the whole translation here. This is what happens. Boaz, from the time that Ruth came in, how many of y'all think Boaz went back to sleep? You would be wrong. Boaz is about to have his dream come true. And he may have been tired before, but he is awake now. The whole time he is contemplating, how am I going to do this so that I can get this guy out of the picture? I want this guy out of the way because I want to be the redeemer. I want her. I love her. He doesn't love her. I love her. I want her to be my wife. This is what I want to have. We've got to come up with a way. All right, so how can we do this? What can we do? Can I come up with a way to make Ruth unattractive? We've got to do. We've got to come up with a way to make it so that Ruth, he see, looks at Ruth and says, oh, no. No. No, I don't want to do that. And so he comes up with a plan, but he doesn't want to look like he came up with a plan. So he goes over by the gate, just happens to be by the gate because everybody who comes into the city goes in and out of the gate. I'm just going, I'm not going to go to the guy's house like I have an agenda. No, we're just going to run into each other like we do at the market. Right? I'm going to sit down here at the gate and he's waiting, he's watching. There's the guy. That's the one I need. Hey, how are you doing? Haven't seen you for a while. Come on over here and sit down. Let's chat for a little while. We haven't chatted for a while. I'd love to just sit down and chat with you for a little bit. Come on over here. Let's catch you. How's the wife? How's the kids? How are things going on? All is good. Yeah, things are good for me. No, I'm still single. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and they just start chatting about some things. He says, well, um, uh, before we go on anymore, I just want to get some some other people in on this conversation. You might, do you mind if I do that? That's not normal, is it? Wouldn't that mean that we can tell you something's up here? So he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, there's some discrepancy as to how this should actually be translated. It seems to be the more accurate way is she intends to sell. She has, has said that she intends to sell. Is there anywhere in the narrative that, that Naomi has told Boaz, I'm going to sell my property? Is there anything in what Ruth said? Uh-uh. Nothing. Where did this thing come from? Boaz has come up with a way to make Ruth as unattractive as possible. So, she's come back from the country. Oh, you know the story. You know, she went to Moab and she uh, has this piece of property. She wants to sell it because, you know, she's, she doesn't have a husband anymore. She's not doing so well. Wants to get some money. And I thought to inform you saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. What's Boaz saying? <clears throat> All right, phase two. And Boaz said on the day, because you see, if he said no, that'd be in the conversation. But he said yes. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. So the, the property comes with a woman. Got to marry her. 
And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down and he said that his close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land, or intends to sell, which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. And if you will not redeem it, then tell me and I will know. For there is no one but you. <laughs> Except I'm after you. That's what we want to do. So, verse 6. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. Now, there's a number of speculation as to why that would be. And I'm not going to get into any of those because we'll be here for too long. <laughs> but there's some uh, possibilities for why he would ruin his own inheritance if he took on Ruth. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So, in other words, he relinquished the land and he re- relinquished the girl. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal and Boaz said to the other people, you, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that is that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and all that was Malam's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, in case you were wondering which one she married. There you go. I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are, you are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel and made you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Do you remember I told you to remember the name of a particular individual who was born to the house of Tamar? Guess what that name is? Perez, who was born in a not so good way, apparently has a very good name. And a, his inherit, his in, um, descendants are extremely numerous. There are notes about that. So he's uh, basically Boaz is like this. All right, well, if you don't want to take Naomi, I, I, I'll do it. You know, I, I, I can I can step in there and I didn't really want to, but you know, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and do that. And so uh, just to make sure, you know, that there's. Uh, you don't go home and reconsider. Your wife talks you out of it or, you know, relatives tell you. Uh, just to make sure, uh, let's do the whole sandal thing. Take off your sandal. Uh, witnesses, we got witnesses here. Y'all see this going on, right? This is done. He's making sure that it's all legally done. There is reasons for all this in Scripture. How many times have you read over this and have no idea why all this is in here? There's a reason for all this being in there. We're going to get into it. Where do we leave off at? Verse 12. 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may, may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be, uh, may be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, This is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of... Isn't that something? 
Now, we talked some things about Jesse. He had a lot to be desired as far as being a father was concerned. And it sure had nothing to do with how he was brought up. He had as parents, Boaz and Ruth. Can you think of more upstanding people? And yet Jesse came out more of a scoundrel. Not time to get into all that. Um, But if you ever come out of a bad family and think it's you're bad because you came out of a bad family, look at David. David came out of a bad family. And he excelled. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Chronicles has him as a slightly different name than that, but the same person. Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. Have you ever been through the book of Matthew? And in the beginning you want to skip on by because it's all genealogies? Yeah, you will find that exact same um, genealogy put out in the book of Matthew. And if you pick up, and I gave you all the references there, chapter 1, 1 through 6, and it keeps on, on going after that. But here, if we look at, look at this, Salmon, in verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, this is the time of the judges. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. The king, David the king, begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And then he continues to go on down until we have Jesus. Names all of the kings of Judah. And then the ones that came in there after that. So that Ruth and Boaz are in the lineage of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now, we say all that for this because we told you this is Resurrection Sunday. You see, we have a Redeemer. We have a Redeemer in Jesus Christ. And this Redeemer loved us from way back. In fact, before we ever came to Him, He loved us. Just as Boaz loved Ruth from a distance, Jesus Love those in his family, usually from a distance. Not everybody grew up knowing about Jesus. But he, he loved them from a distance. And when Boaz woke up that night and saw that it was Ruth who had uncovered his feet and enacted the right of the Redeemer, and he felt joy. How much joy is in Jesus? when he looks down at his feet and he sees another one of the children that he loves who has come to his feet and said, you are my Redeemer. Oh, the joy that he feels. We know that from the Scriptures because the Scripture says that all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. When one comes to the feet of Jesus. And if you look at the, the way Boaz went about this, Boaz is very legalistic through this. He's making sure he dots all the I's and crosses all the T's that everything is done so that when he takes Ruth as his wife, no one can say it wasn't done right. And no one can say that his marriage is invalid. And that's important because when Jesus became our Redeemer, he went through all the things legally 
necessary to be our Redeemer. You see, His blood was shed because blood had to be shed. He was the spotless Lamb because the Redeemer, the type in the Word of God, was the Lamb. Not the goat, not the bull, but the Lamb. He was judged and declared pure by the judge of the Lamb, Pilate. I see no fault in Him. Go and crucify Him. He was nailed to a cross because it says in the Word, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. There were no broken bones in His body because it said in the Word that the Lamb who was offered on the day of redemption could not have a single broken bone. He was dead three days because it was necessary for Him to be three days in hell. He went to hell. He was raised from the dead. He was raised from hell by the power of God. He ascended to the Father to present His blood on the holy altar that is in heaven. Not the copy that is on the earth. The holy altar that Moses saw and made a copy of that we call the temple and the tabernacle. He took that blood to the holy of holies. Not the copy of the holy of holies, but the Holy of Holies. And if you've been out here for Hebrews, we spent some time on, on all that. He told Mary, he says, don't touch me. I have not, have not yet ascended to my father to present the blood. Don't touch me. And here's a, the last one for you. Jesus took us from a life of poverty into his abundance. He took one who did not deserve to be the bride. And elevated them to a position of the bride. Because of his love for us. The book of Ruth is a love story between an older man and a younger woman. One that really worked out well. And one that shows us the example of the Redeemer, of Jesus. His love for us was so great that he endured the cross. Jesus did not become our Redeemer because of one day on the cross. But a lifetime of faithfulness that ended on the cross. He did not become our Redeemer because He let people nail His hands and His feet. Because He allowed His body to be beaten. He became a Redeemer Because he was faithful to what God said to do all the days of his life. Because he lived his life perfect, sinless. And because of that, the blood, the sin of the world could be put on him and his blood covered us. He did not become our redeemer because of that one day that he was crucified. He became our redeemer because of a lifetime of faithfulness. Ruth was now elevated because one day she came upon Boaz and uncovered his feet. She was redeemed by Boaz and put in a place to be so because of the faithfulness that she showed in all her life. The faithfulness to her God. The faithfulness to her mother-in-law. The faithfulness in all that she did. It caught the attention of Boaz. 
It is so important that we stay faithful in every aspect of our life, no matter how little and how insignificant we see it as being. Because it's not insignificant and it's not little. If you're going to be one who gleans in the field, you'd be the best gleaner that you can be. Wherever it is that you work, whatever it is that you do, the Word of God says, do it heartily as unto the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you shall receive. That's how we receive. That's how we receive. Be faithful in everything that you do. Don't always have your eye for when the promotion will come. But be faithful. And know that just as Boaz was from a distance watching the faithfulness of Ruth, your God watches yours. The same God who watched the faithfulness of David and elevated him. The same God who watched the faithfulness of Joseph. The same God who saw the faithfulness in Abraham. The same God who saw the faithfulness that was there in Paul and Peter and John and James. And the list goes on and on. He has seen the faithfulness in you. Continue to be faithful. Not because of what you expect to come. Because it's right, and his eye is on you. Would you all stand with me? Glory to God. Did you see? Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. Jesus was faithful when we were not. Father God, you are faithful even though we are faithless. And Father, we want to be following an example of faithfulness. And just as Jesus was faithful even to die on the cross. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you. We can walk after that type of faithfulness, that type of life. You have called us to faithfulness and your eye is always looking. The world tells us to look out for those that are rich and powerful, those that have great works at their hands, Father, you look for who is faithful and little because you know if they're faithful and little, they will also be faithful and much. Father, I thank you. I give you the glory.